So those of you that are watching online uh, uh, or weren't able to be with us last week, uh, we are in uh, a new series for Advent, and it's called Expectation. And uh, we are using the analogy of pregnancy to talk about the Advent season, which is a perfect metaphor for that. Uh, this idea, uh, when you when you get pregnant, you find out you're pregnant, and then there is this long wait uh, as you move through the stages of pregnancy before you deliver. There's this expectation that happens that what was conceived is not seen until a later time, and that's exactly what Advent is for us. We, we tend to focus in Advent on baby Jesus, and, and that, is, that is a part of it. That is the historical reference in which we, we identify what God did in the past. Uh, but uh, Advent for us today should be not just about the baby Jesus, but the fact that baby Jesus became the Prince of Peace and King of Kings and at some point is going to kick through uh, the skies. Uh, he's not coming in quiet next time. He's going to kick through the skies and, and claim us for his own, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's a part of what we are looking forward to in our Advent. That This idea, last week uh, Spencer preached and his title was about morning sickness. And uh, the, uh, it's funny that two guys are pre- preaching about the, the stages of pregnancy, but you women complain about it so much, I feel like an, I'm an expert. But um, there you go. <laughs> And now I know you're listening, so I got you. No, uh, with morning sickness, you go to Romans 8, and it talks about uh, that, that all of creation is moaning uh, for, for the redemption of the world. This, this idea that things aren't all they could be. We've lost the perfection of what God created, right? And all of creation is mourning. There's this expectation. Even nature recognizes that it's not the way it should be, but there is this hope built within the thing that God did originally that He's coming back, right? And 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 in morning sickness, even even in the midst of that, uh, moms that have had that will tell me that 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 morning sickness is worth it because they know that that's a symbol and a sign that they have life growing inside of them, and and that's going to be born in the future. And so that sickness, there's hope within that. This morning, we're talking about nesting, right? That, 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 that stage in which it's now becoming imminent that the, the child is on the way. And as you bring that child into the house, there needs to be some changes to accommodate the kid, right? If it's your first kid, you're going from happy-go-lucky, we do everything, we go out every night and we have fun uh, life into now my life is all about this little thing that poops and pees all the time. And I'm going to be held, uh, I'm going to be held as a hostage for the next six months within the walls of my house, right? And you have to prepare, you, you get a nursery, you get a crib, you get a bassinet, you hang initials, you paint it red, white, and yellow, and green, and all the other things, right? Getting 
ready. If it's, if it's not your first kid, if it's going to two, then you're, then you gotta make room because now you're, you're doubling the efforts against you. So you have to, you have to build more of a refuge for, for the attack that's coming. If, if, if you're having twins, then you gotta double that effort, right? But there's this, there's this change. You can't, you can't go forward what's, with what's coming without making some changes. Right, and and there's there's just this and it, it it it's a sometimes it can be uncomfortable sometimes it's it's confusing. As Sydney, my my oldest daughter, she just uh, gave birth two weeks ago. Um, back in September, her poor husband Taylor, uh, she she got into the nesting thing, and I think he's moved every piece of furniture in their house seventeen times, uh, back and forth, trying to get it where where she wants it. Right, but but there's this there's this thing that as the birth is imminent, we have to make changes. Well, as we've said, what we are looking forward to in Advent is that Christ is coming back. The King of Kings, the Prince of Peace is coming back. And if that's true, and by the way, we believe that's true here. If that's true, what changes do we have to make? Because let's be honest, we can't leave, keep living the way we have been and make room for Christ, right? Something has to change. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how good you are at it. There are still some things that you need to rearrange in your life. There are still forces of darkness and forces of evil and forces of sin that have their grips on you, that have uh, too much of a sway in your life and, and too much conflict around us. How do we prepare a place for the Prince of Peace when we're living in chaos and turmoil all the time? Our word this morning is peace. And peace isn't just, you know, the, the absence of war. Peace is actually a state of being, uh, that, that comes from a life with, with God. You can be in the most, uh, Jesus' life was anything but boring, right? But he had this consistent peace that was a part of it. Part of it was this, this assurance that he was in line with what he had been sent to do. He, that, that, all of his efforts and all of his his life and all of his actions were all headed in a direction that that was working in concert concert for God's will for his life there's a peace in that how do we make room for the prince of peace when we live in such chaotic divisive time we're going to be looking at um uh Romans this morning uh, to help us in this conversation. And uh, I love the book of Romans. It's my, my favorite. Um, I've done a study in the church a couple of times on it. But Romans, uh, written by Paul, it's one of the most organized uh, sort of treatises of the Christian life. It starts out at the beginning talking about God the Father and his uh, how he created, and then we rebelled against him. Uh, and and what should have ended with God saying I'm done and starting over or just choosing not to to move forward, instead uh, you move from talking about God the Father into the fact that God, in order to win back the people who had moved away from Him, sent His Son Jesus Christ into the Lord uh, into the world 
He came into the midst of the mess. It wasn't a committee he sent. It wasn't an idea. It wasn't a, a voice from heaven saying, y'all better be good or I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you. It, he, he came himself in the form of a son to live and show us what it looks like to live a life in concert with God's will. What it looks like to love the way God loves. What God looks like and how God thinks that he wasn't angry and he wasn't against people. And in chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, we, it, it, the book of Romans talks about how faith in Christ is what saves us. There's this new, this new covenant that Jesus established. It replaced the old covenant that, that was about dietary restrictions and, and, and Sabbath practice and all of that. Jesus, it, we have a new covenant with Jesus that if you will place your faith, if you'll put your life into the hands of Jesus, all the law is fulfilled through him, through faith in Christ we are saved. Then you move into chapter 8. And we started with God the Father. He sent Jesus the Son. And then in chapter 8, we talk about the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the power of God that doesn't just exist in the heavens, but God has given it to anyone who believes that the power of God, the power of the resurrection lives within you. Then we have some salvation questions that happen in chapters 9, 10, 11. You get to chapter 12, and 12, 13, 14, 15 is taking all of this about who God is and what He's done in salvation history and turned it around to, if that's true, then how then should we live? How should we live? I'm going to be in chapter 15 today. And we're, and, and we're gonna, it's, it's gonna help us in this conversation about how do we establish a peaceful nesting in our life for the, the King of Kings to enter into. But in order to get there, I need to give you some context. I don't have time to read all through chapter 14, but if you go to chapter 14 in Romans, it is this uh, conversation about a moving from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. The all dietary laws of the Jewish faith. Uh, remember, Jesus came as a Jew. He, he uh, preached and taught mainly among the Jews. They had all grown up with this idea of dietary practices and stuff. Then Jesus does his thing. There's this new movement that emerges. And all of a sudden, there's this argument because Gentiles are now coming into the, into the picture. Gentiles, non-Jewish people, which they had been taught God didn't like those people, right? And now all of a sudden, Gentiles are worshiping their God and they're saying, well, they can't do it because they're not following our rules. The question is really like, can you be a Christian and still eat bacon, right? Can, can, can you be a Christian and not follow the old rule? And, and so Paul has this argument of, hey, don't enforce your thoughts on other people. I'm going to explain more about it, but that's the context. They've just been talking about this idea that there's different dietary laws and different things going on. And here, here, here we go. Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not ju just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. 
And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives us patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. And then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. This is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place, Isaiah said, The heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles and they will place their hope on him. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then, you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. So basically what's happening here is there is this argument that because people aren't following God the way I think they should, they're wrong. And they're, they're not going to heaven. Everyone knows Gentiles are worthless. They have no place in the kingdom of heaven. If whatever this Jesus guy did, they have no place there and they don't even follow our rules. How can they be a part of the kingdom of heaven? It's it's a different argument in today's world, but that argument has continued through the ages and we continue to do this as church people. You don't think like I do, therefore you are wrong, right? It's this we all have grown up in a context. We all have this this experience. We all have this uh, tradition that we've grown up in. And, and not that it's not that you're wrong, but I'm right. Right? I mean that you read this first thing, and and it starts off: "We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this, or those who are weak about things like this." And every one of us read that passage and we put ourselves in the strong position. Not one of you read that and said, oh, I'm the weak one that I need everyone to tell me what to believe. Right? Every one of us puts ourselves in that strong position. It's okay. We all do it. It's, it's, It's the understanding, you know, if everyone thought like me, the world would be a better place. If you would just let me do what I want, the church would run better, right? If, if, if my husband or my wife would listen to me, if my kids would follow my directions, their life would be different, right? We all have this idea that we have some insight. And, and fortunately for you people, you have me to tell you, <laughs> right? That, that's sort of what we do to folks. And this has happened throughout the ages. It, it is, is a continuing deal where, where people want to, to define how God works by their experience, which there, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Your experience with God is, is a part of your testimony, but don't 
don't think that God has to do the same thing with everybody that he did with you. The whole idea of creation is that we're all unique. That's the beauty of creation. Every one of us has different fingerprints. We have different personalities. We have different traits. We have different talents. There's, there's everything is so different about us. And the way God deals with us is unique. He's, he's not on a factory uh, line just stamping out product that he, you know, is just hitting us all the same way. He deals with us all in a very unique way. So why, why do I have permission to tell you how you should receive God? Now in this, Paul, when you go back to chapter 14, with the whole dietary restriction and everything, he says, now here, here's something. If the Holy Spirit is telling you that the dietary restrictions are important, then follow your conscience. Follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. If, if you feel that God is holding you to this, then you need to follow your conscience. But you don't have to get everyone else to agree with you, right? And then he goes into this argument about Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Even Jesus didn't get his way, right? He came into darkness. The whole idea of grace, the whole idea of Christianity, the whole idea of good news is the fact that a holy God chose to interact, interact with, with selfish people that didn't deserve Him. He says, here's what you need to do. This is the godly principle. Instead of, of, of fighting with one another, instead of arguing with one another, Love one another. Accept one another the way that God has accepted you. Now again, when we hear things like that, we think, well, he didn't have to accept as much when I came in. But there's some people that that's a big act, right? No. All are sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us are only saved by grace, right? It's only by grace. And if the rest of Romans is true, that God who sent the Son redeems us by His blood and faith in Christ and then gives us the Holy Spirit, which moves us then into transformation of heart and mind, well, then I don't have to worry about getting them right because God will get them right through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is this is what the church has done, not this church, but the church has done since the beginning. You take like the, the walk to Emmaus. That's something a lot of you have experienced. That started in the 70s. It was a movement out of the upper room, this, uh, this retreat, a four-day retreat to talk about the goodness and grace of God. Uh, it's been transforming for many people. I don't know how many pastors in the in the Methodist tradition, came out. Their their calling happened at a walk to Emmaus. I'm one of those that my calling came at a walk to Emmaus. It's been this fantastic reform tool. But the more it went and the more people had positive experiences, the more people wanted to start to make rules so that everybody had the same experience. And so back in the 2000s, I served on a conference board that we were the Emmaus police to make sure that no one was doing anything outside the rules, 
or adding something or taking right it, it, we have this thing that we want and it's not because they're bad people and it's not it's it's not even evilly intended we we're hoping the best but we have to understand that fighting is not a way to win people to the kingdom of god right instead he says god has given us patience and encouragement so that we can live in harmony together. So that we can live in harmony together. I love the wording for that. It's not unison. Unison is one note. It's, it's a way to play a melody line. But there, there's not as much beauty in a unison chorus. The choir is going to sing after the sermon. Their harmony will make it even more beautiful than if they were all singing the same note. It's Unison is all one note. Harmony is a blend of notes, some of them that resonate with others, some that are dissonant against one another, but there's this depth and beauty that comes from harmony that you can't get from a single note. And he says, I want you to live in harmony with one another. In other words, I want you to take the diversity and that's not just skin color or socioeconomic. It's also the way we think and believe. If we went and did a test about belief about the Bible, you would find out that there's about 8,000 million versions of the Bible in this congregation, right? And some of them aren't even biblical. It cracks me up over the last six months how many people have come in with opinions about the church and everything. And they say, well, I don't really even read the Bible, but I think... Or I've heard, right? We, we get, we get so wrapped up. I mean, politics, we do this too, and that's ratcheted up enough, but you add religion and the God thing to it. And now our, 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 our disagreements, if, if I, if I think God's on my side, then you're not only wrong, you're going to hell. Right? It's, it's, but that's not Christ. It's not Christ. I just read a, an article uh, the other day about what's missing from the gospel today is the word "nice." You don't find, if you if you Google if you if you tried to search the word "nice" in the scripture, you're not going to find the word "nice." But the attitude of "nice" is written all over it, isn't it? Jesus wasn't a jerk. He was nice. What happened to nice? That in our polarized world, uh, it, which just gets more and more polarized. I mean, but this has always been the human condition. We're not human. There's nothing new under the sun. People have been doing this forever. We're just perfecting it to a, a level never seen before. Right? But what Paul taught, what Jesus taught, was instead of battling with one another, instead of defining positions and building walls and fortresses and dividing lines, to reach across the aisle. To establish friendship. To make peace. In today's world, we call that compromise or selling out. In the kingdom of heaven, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Right? We've distorted who Jesus is. We've distorted the message. 
We can't keep living as self-centered, self-righteous people and prepare our hearts for Christ to be born again as He comes and returns. You read through the New Testament and all of Jesus' parables about the... (coughs) Excuse me, about the second coming. It's like, don't miss it and be ready. You don't know when it's coming, but be ready. Be ready. Well, how do you get yourself ready? Here's how you get yourself ready. Stop fighting with one another and extend a hand in fellowship. Forgive one another. Be in harmony with one another. It says be in, live in harmony with one another and then we will all be able to praise God with one voice. We're all going to be saying the same words, but we come at it from different directions. Harmony leads to unity. That's a godly characteristic. That's what the Prince of Peace established when he came, Isaiah 9. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. It's what he inaugurated and is going to bring to consummation when he returns. If we want our hearts to be ready, we have to learn to live in peace. It's, you're not a sellout to try to accept other people. I I believe enough in the power of God that I trust that He can do the hard salvation work. How do I know that? Because He's done it on me and continuing to do it on me. The one who began a good work on on me, in me, is going to see it all the way to completion. That's a promise. I don't have to help the process. And in fact, you talk to so many people across, they won't even enter the process because we've set them up as failures before they even got. You're not a sellout. You want to live in peace, to live in harmony. Jesus somehow was able to do ministry his whole life to the marginalized and to sinners and to those who weren't acceptable. He was he managed to do that all along without losing his holiness or his righteousness and without being a jerk. You, you walk through the stories. Woman at the well. Five marriages in a time where that was outrageous and she should have been stoned for it. He doesn't sit down and talk to her about marriage counseling and you better get yourself right. He tells her about a God who loves her and about uh, some living water that can transform her life. She accepts it and then tells some other people and a whole town is saved because of his conversation. He has, a, he, ha, he has an encounter with Zacchaeus, a tax collector who was a traitor to the people. When, when Jesus set up the time with Zacchaeus, all the disciples are like, oh, he's going to get it now. And all Jesus did is say, invite your friends. And then he told them about a God who loves him. And the Holy Spirit moved and Zacchaeus repented and paid back the money and became a better person. The woman caught in adultery with all the guys ready to throw stones. And he says, if you, if you don't have a problem, you get to throw the first stone. They all leave. And he's left with the woman. He doesn't give her a speech about, I can't believe you did this and you better get your life straight. He said, I've given you a gift. Don't, don't fall into the same trap. Right? This is, this is godly behavior. Peace. Make peace. Inasmuch as it's up to you, Live at peace with. It's part of what we celebrate in Holy Communion. 
We lived at enmity with God. There was conflict between us and God because of sin. There was distance between us, but because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, anyone who has faith in Him no longer has enmity. We have peace with God. Communion is a lot like Advent in that we remember and it's, it's focused around something that happened in the past, but it is also a foretaste of what is coming. We remember a time when Jesus set a table for His followers. Those who were going to walk away from Him. Those who were going to betray Him. Those who were going to, uh, to deny Him. He set a table for them out of love to remind them and, and give them a way to understand the kind of love and what He was doing through His sacrifice. As we gather today, we remember that as a historical event, but we also look forward to a time where He's going to set a table again. And it's going to be after He has made everything right and there's no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. And there's a table set for all who have come to believe in Him. And we all sit around the table and in harmony and unity, sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. One word about diversity. If you don't like diversity, you're not going to like heaven very much. Right? I mean, so, unfortunately, so much of, there's so lack of diversity. I'm not just talking racial, I'm socioeconomic. There's all sorts of diverse things that we don't do in the church. I think in a lot of churches, if Jesus walked in, they'd be uncomfortable. Number one, with the skin color, right? Diversity is what makes creation beautiful. And we don't have to fix everything. Let God redeem the world. And you become a messenger of the redemption you've received. That night he was gathered with his friends. Took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, passed around the table and said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, I want you to remember me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. And he gave thanks and he passed around the table. He said, drink from this, all of you. This is the new covenant and my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink of it, I want you to remember me. And so it's in remembrance of these as mighty acts through Jesus Christ that we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. Would you bow with me and let's pray together. Oh God, thank you for your love. Thank you for, for your patience. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for the joy that you give us. For the hope that comes from you. From the peace that can be made present in our life. God, help us to know that we aren't in charge of fixing people. Help us to know that in order to follow you, we must be willing to love even those we disagree with. As we share in this sacrament, would you make this this bread and this juice be for us your body and blood so that we can be for the world your body and blood? Come, Holy Spirit. Descend on us. Fill us. 
Come, Lord Jesus, come. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the one who taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven.